Employment Roundtable podcast is produced by the Gable Gottwalls Law Firm. The Employment Roundtable is provided for educational and informational purposes only and does not contain legal advice or create an attorney-client relationship. The information provided should not be taken as an indication of future legal results. Any information provided should not be acted upon without consulting legal counsel. Welcome to the Employment Roundtable, where we provide you with perspectives and information you need to make wise employment decisions for your employees and your organizations. I'm your host, Talitha Ebright, and today we're talking with the EEOC's Holly Cole and my Gable Gottwalls partners, Ellen Adams and Paula Williams, about the fourth of a four-part absenteeism series titled, Where Is Everybody? This episode looks at COVID-19-related absences in the workplace. So Holly, thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Talitha. I appreciate it. Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic in early 2020, what are the most common allegations that the EEOC has seen in uh, charges regarding uh, COVID-19-related absenteeism? Well, certainly uh, the pandemic and all of the fallout from that has um, become the pointy end of the stick for all of us, I believe. It's affected every aspect of our economy, every facet of employment, and um, I don't think anyone has not felt the impact of it. Um, Some of the things that that we are seeing at the EEOC as far as absenteeism related to COVID-19, I guess the most obvious would be employees who contract COVID-19 and who have to be absent from work because of their own illness. Um, But a second scenario could be someone who is a caretaker uh, for a child, a spouse, an elderly parent um, who has been, who contracts uh, COVID-19. So they may have to be absent from work in order to provide care for that person. Um, A third scenario, which probably goes well past the scope of our conversation today, but kind of something to keep in mind is people who are absent from work because they have not uh, become vaccinated for whatever reason. And so they aren't permitted either by the employer's rules and policies of the workplace, or perhaps maybe their own choice. They don't don't, uh, want to get vaccinated and they they then have a reluctance to be in the workplace as well. So um, that's an issue that involves a lot of different moving parts, but that could um, impact someone's coming to work or not is their vaccination status. Holly, have you all seen, um, I'm, I'm going to throw you a, a curveball here. Have you all seen um, like more dis- disability discrimination claims? Because I know a lot of what I'm seeing on my desk is disability claims just as COVID-19 has affected people more in the mental health space and, and just seeing a lot more anxiety, depression, you know, anxiety and coming to work and the like. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not seen an increase in that, at least in our office. Uh, I can see how that that would be um, an interplay, definitely. But um, I have not seen an uptick in that. Um, you know, I think the EEOC has been pretty clear that you know just because you get COVID nineteen doesn't mean you're a person with a disability. You know, sure. although there can you know that can it could certainly lead to that. And to your point, people with disabilities may be more susceptible 
to contracting COVID or having, you know, worse symptoms, that sort of thing. Um, but I, I haven't seen what you're alluding to very much. Mm-hmm. Holly, would you say that um, COVID-19 related charges are forming a very big portion of the EEOC's workload or is it, I mean, is it, I, I guess I just have no idea sort of how much of it you're seeing, what the scale looks like. And, and I'm just curious. It's definitely up and coming where we're seeing it mostly are um, for vaccine mandate policies. And so people who are either asking for an exception to the vaccine mandate because they have a religious um, objection to getting the vaccine or they have a disability related reason um, for not getting the vaccine. So we're, we're definitely seeing uh, more of those charges. And I think we'll, we will continue to see those. Thank you. You know, and, and um, I'm looking forward in an upcoming episode to talking a little bit more about those, you know, sort of disability and um, religion based uh, challenges, mm-hmm. um, because this area, as we all know, is super dynamic. Um, lots right. of changes happening quickly. So looking forward to digging into that a little deeper in a future episode. Mm-hmm. Um So Ellen, in an earlier episode, we discussed the critical features every attendancy, every attendance policy should have in a general sense. Um, What features would you recommend that employers consider adding to their employment policies that specifically relate to uh, COVID-19 and absences? Sure. A great question. And I think a lot of it has to do with what Holly has just indicated. Um, Because of COVID-19, we've seen the implications that that has had on a variety of employees. And that can look like caretaking responsibilities, that can look like their own illness, um, you know, and how they're personally affected by COVID-19. It can also extend to underlying medical conditions that make the individual uncomfortable being physically present in the office. So a first step for employers is just to think through how they actually want to manage and design their policy to address those issues. So generally, the majority of sick leave policies might have provisions that relate just to an employee's own illness. A broader sick leave policy would provide for um, paid or unpaid leave for someone to take care of a family member who's um, sick. Also, think about whether preventative care, like time off to get a vaccine or time to go see a doctor for a wellness check or a child's wellness check, is part of your sick policy. Um, And whether you want to provide your employees with paid leave, which is not a requirement under Oklahoma law or federal law for um, sick, uh, you know, you, you just need to decide how much you want to offer your employees and address that um, in your attendance policy to make sure that it's consistent with your other sick policies and the like. Um, Obviously, outside the scope of really what we're talking about, you've got disability accommodation policies that you need to make sure are appropriate in your FMLA policy if it applies, making sure that is appropriate as well. But if we're just talking about attendance, employers just really need to think through how they wanna manage that. because we're in Oklahoma, there isn't mandatory sick leave as there is in some other states. Um, so in, without the federal laws 
those all expired, um, addressing specifically the coronavirus and the pandemic, employers are really left to decide how they want to treat employees and um, develop their policies to address that. And so, Ellen, just for purposes of, you know, uh, not really knowing when our listeners are going to be listening to this. So we are recording this at the end of January 2022. When did those federal policies expire? Um, that Well, first of all, what were the policies that related to COVID-19 related absences and when did they expire? Sure. So December 31st of 2021 was the expiration. And then there was some time period after that where employers could um, have a tax credit if they voluntarily extended it. And what I'm referring to is the um, FFCRA, Families First Coronavirus Response Act. And under the FFCRA, employers were um, required to give paid sick leave for a variety of what I'll say are pandemic-related absences. So quarantining, isolating, being at home because of a school or childcare closure are just some examples of what was covered under the FFCRA. Thank you uh, very much for clarifying that. Well, I appreciate sure. it. And time, time is strange during COVID, and I know it blends for a lot of us. Um, those expired December 31st, 2020. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, I know that it all blends. And then like yeah. I said, they have, they have the initial period of time that they could continue offering it during 2021. So thank you. <laughs> yes, uh, man, I have experienced that sort of time blending. I'm, as you said, Paulette, <laughs> we all have, I mean, uh, you said like 2022. About the day we were recording, and I couldn't, I just, I still couldn't believe it. It was weird for me to hear you say that. Yeah. I, yeah. What's really weird is I've gotten younger as. <laughs> I mean, you look younger, which Thank is not you. fair. Thank um, you. But congratulations. Um, <laughs> um, so, all right. Well, Paula, you know, we learned during our last episode why it's important for employers to set clear expectations and to con consistently enforce those expectations. Um, and then to, you know, ask questions and gain information about why breaches of attendance and absenteeism policies sometimes occur. What should employers keep in mind when they're enforcing COVID-19 related attendance policies? Yeah. So, um, a lot of things and all of the things we've talked about in, in prior episodes um, you know, still apply. But I, I first, I think that employers should expect that things in three months are going to be totally different than they are now. And how you keep your workplace safe and what you need to do to keep your workplace safe and prevent absenteeism is going to be different in three months than it is now. Um, you know, I had kids out of school late last week, or was it the week before? See, time. It's just, it's all the same. Um, and so school closures, daycare closures, the prevalence of different variants, the effectiveness of vaccines, who needs a booster, who's not getting it, who, you know, it's all changing and it's going to keep changing. And we have to keep, keep considering um, what industry we're in, how many are in our workforce, 
what it's going to take to prevent the spread of illness in our workplace, not just COVID, but also flu or also a cold. Because if someone gets a cold, you know what they're doing right now? They're finding a rapid test. They're finding a drive-through PCR. They're waiting on results if it's a PCR. They're trying to get into their doctor. And the sick leave policy that Ellen just mentioned is going to impact their ability to do that and either get paid to do it or not. And if an employee is going to take unpaid leave to do that, they're less likely to do it. Mm. And then they're more likely to come in with a cold and not know if it's a cold or not. And then you need to look at, well, what's your policy on people coming in with symptoms? And all of this is going to change. And so I think employers need to buckle in and expect that in 2022, at least I won't speak to 2023 yet because it's it's already confusing that it's 2022, but in 2022, <laughs> we're going to have to sit down multiple times and we're going to have to look at our policy and we're going to have to communicate with employees. And if our employees are struggling, especially because of COVID, we need to have a one-on-one conversation with them and figure out what's happening. Has kid been out of school for two weeks? How much sick leave do they have? How much, you know, what does our policy provide? And, and we need to make sure that we're evaluating um, first what we're doing to keep the workplace safe. Second, what we're doing to keep um, incentivize employees to be at work, but also incentivize them to not be at work while they're sick so that we can prevent more people being sick and more people being out. Yeah, and I think that really ties into, you know, our some of the discussions in our earlier episodes about how we might leverage um, telecommuting. Um, to sort of ensure that we're able to meet our organization's goals while still, you know, being human beings, which I think we've all really had to kind of, um, you know, reckon with in the course of this pandemic is just, uh, you know, I think we've gotten used to seeing people's dogs in Zoom meetings, which is awesome. (laughs) Lots of cats. I also really enjoy that. But just, um, you know, having to sort of roll with the punches and, and we're all in this together. So I really like the the approach that you lined out for us there. Thank you. I agree, Paula. Um, just the the fluidity and the uncertainty of everything that we're dealing with. Um, you know, I, I think back, let's go back five years. You know, the, the four of us, what did our work days look like? What did our workload look like? What were the mm-hmm. issues that we were dealing with? We, we're not seeing a whole lot of those things anymore. Um, you know, when we talk about reasonable accommodation issues, which we're going to get to in, in, a, in a further episode, but um, tele, telework now, you know, I was never a teleworker. Now I've been a teleworker since March of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't think I could do it, but it's, it's amazing. Um, the, the good things that have come out of the pandemic have been an increased use of technology Mm-hmm. Um, a, a real a realization for all of us to realize what we can actually do when we're not physically at work. So I think that gives employers a lot of latitude as to what they can do um, to make accommodations and just to make um, leave policies that really fit the culture of where we are right now, not where it was even five years ago. I think that's right. Yes. Thank you. Well, you know, we had a ton of valuable information today. Our our time is now um, running short, 
but I really appreciate you all unpacking that with, with me. Um, what struck me most was learning about the various contexts in which the EEOC is seeing charges that relate in some way to COVID. Uh, it was very interesting. So many thanks to you, Holly and Paula and Ellen for your input. Um, I appreciate you being here with me. All right. Thank you, everyone. It's good. great to see everyone. Good, good to see you too. And, and many thanks to all of you for listening today to the Employment Roundtable. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. The Employment Roundtable podcast is produced by the Gable Gottwalls Law Firm. The Employment Roundtable is provided for educational and informational purposes only and does not contain legal advice or create an attorney-client relationship. The information provided should not be taken as an indication of future legal results. Any information provided should not be acted upon without consulting legal counsel. 